This is our Tuesday morning Bible study with uh, discussions on our short books of the Bible. And, and um, we are now in the book of Philemon or Philemon or Philemon, depending on who you talk to. Um, so it's a, we've been having this really great discussion about um, the world that we live in today and the, the complications of the the appearance and the understandings of what are happening around us. Um, this letter is uh, one of those that we think that Paul physically wrote. And he's in jail. He's trying to figure out a way to um, help Philemon with his leadership of the church. Apphia and Archippus uh, uh, are still in change, but Paul somehow sends someone to go in his in his place, and this person's name is Onesimus. Onesimus. Um, he refers to him as a brother in the flesh, uh, which is which is kind of a big deal um, when he's he's saying that we're, we're, we we. We're like blood brothers, right? Uh, he talks to them about some some issues that have taken place. There's some things that are going on, but evidently Onesimus was a slave. And um, wants the people that he's writing this to, to no longer refer to him as a slave. Um, which is interesting that we were having this conversation uh, about uh, the world that we live in in the way that we perceive things going on around us so don't refer to him as a slave well he's still a slave in the first century no matter what they want to say so it's a he wants them to look past this identification that the world has given to him and look at what he what his works do. Um, this is a uh, and he and he does it in such a way that's really really <clears throat> unique. He says it to the people and says, "You should receive Onesimus as is as if you would receive me." Uh, now we're going to talk more about that when we get to it, but this type of language um, in the first century is also abnormal you 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 don't you, you can't do that like that that if, if the culture would have had a problem with that but but he is encouraging them to do so um i have to read this because i think it's really cool um many commentaries suggest that onesimus is a fugitive um although there's no indication of his flight in the letter Paul does not hint at a reason for Onesimus's departure. Now, the 4th century Greek exegete John Chrysostom was the first to propose that Philemon is a letter reconciling slave and master. He proposes that Onesimus was a fugitive slave on whose behalf Paul now writes to Philemon and Chrysostom, ah, I never can say his name right, Chrysostom, was concerned that many are reduced to blasphemy and as and of saying Christianity has been introduced into life for the subversion of everything 
masters having their servants taken from them, and it is a matter of violence. He also addresses the damage to the image of the Christian community, which is publicly associated with the aggression, aggressive um, manumission of slaves, like this, now you are mine type of thing. Uh, Chrysostom was a great admirer of the Apostle Paul and was annoyed that the letter to Philemon is being dismissed by some of his contemporaries as trifling because it has little to contribute to the Christian dogma and doctrine. Now remember, in the fourth century, we're building a canon. We're, we're taking all of these things together. And I think it's Eusebius in 340-ish uh, did not want to include this in the original canon. And Chrysostom is saying, no, it absolutely should, because there's now a conversation between master and slave that really in, implies the power of Christ. Um, Dr. Warren Carter continues to write about the empire in such a way that says, everything that you think of in the New Testament, you want to think about Jesus coming to overthrow Rome and make it an equal playing field for everyone, which is, you know, a utopic idea. So if, if Jesus does that and Paul is a follower of Jesus, his language is going to reflect that, which would then mean there is no master and slave. We become equal partners. Um, so Chrysostom is, He's, he's somebody that we all quote. He's he's a he's a master Greek, which is a, another big issue. Um, so it, his his commentary about Philemon is is extremely important. Um, so it became a, a really big deal in the uh, the issue of this because in the early 19th century. America pro-slavery advocates referred to Philemon as the Pauline mandate uh, or Pauline mandate as a biblical sanction of American slavery. So this book was used, haha, just like our conversation that we were having just before this, of saying that, hey, we can use this text to say this is a, a biblical truth. And we use Philemon to say that a slavery was supposed to do it. Uh, plantation owners understood Onesimus to be a runaway, so they cited Philemon in support of the Fugitive Slave Law, which required the re return of runaway slaves to their masters under penalty of law, even when the fugitives had absconded to free states. Now, obviously, some Christians were not uh, leaders were not committed to the slave regime and insisted on an alternative interpretation. African-American slaves protested that the letter is not truly Pauline and does not contain the gospel. According to the abolition and abolitionist interpreters, the letter says nothing of and does not uh, of Onesimus's servile status. And calling Onesimus a beloved brother, remember me saying that to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord, Paul suggests that Onesimus is not Philemon's slave, but his brother by blood. That is in the flesh and by faith in the Lord. Some interpreters suggest that the letter does not take, take a position on slavery. The writer uses a vocabulary of love and family to describe his relationship to Philemon and Onesimus as their relationship to each other. But Paul takes a diplomatic tone when addressing Philemon when, 
with a determined self-sacrificial concern for the reconciliation of the estranged brothers. Uh, at issue here are a family, ministry, and love. Paul cannot do the work of the gospel in Philemon's assembly without reconciling the two brothers that are right at the very beginning of this letter. So ultimately, the commentary here is says that this text is about forgiveness. Paul instead addresses the possibility of his emissary's wrongdoing by offering a, a concrete remedy. Paul does this, however, at his own expense. Um, so, and the reason I'm saying this is that at one part in the letter, he says something to the effect of whatever his debt is, give it to me. I would take on his debt. So that's a big Jesus statement, by the way. Um, and uh, then also gives us some timing as to when this might have been written. Um, so this is most likely, as we have had this discussion, at the very beginning of his writings, Paul has this idea of Jesus as a sacrificial thing, but didn't necessarily rectify it until later on. So Philemon is one of those, okay, theologically, this is what it means. I take on someone else's debt in the same way that Christ took on my debt for me. Does that make sense? So it's a it's a deep thought, but Paul has the ability to do that. That's the redemption word that yes. we used in the last book. That's right. right. It's the redemption word that we used in the last book. In Titus, I think it was. Yes. These commentaries to me. Or about Paul. Yes. When the discussion, and not saying that when we read this, it's not going to get back to it. It ought to be about Jesus. Well, sure. I mean, but, you know, well, Paul said this and Paul said that. Mm -hmm. At most, that would be Paul's, I mean, he's trying to respond, should be trying to respond as the way he thought Jesus would have. This is the problem with Paul. But, I mean, and that's where I'm headed at is when you say, well, this group uses this for slavery or this Jesus left say in my mind left slavery as it was. This mm -hmm. is not why I'm here. Right. I mean, you know, this this is not your world. Or, I mean, this is where you're living, but this is not where you have your eyes set. You're not going to slay right. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is is he did I don't believe he delved into it as much as what Paul is here. No, he definitely did not. Yeah. And this is this is why there's a problem with putting all of our focus in on Paul's writings. Remember, most of the twentieth century church, if you quote anything, it's usually from one of Paul's letters. And Paul is trying to establish a movement. And, and we put all of our focus in on Paul's words about that movement where Jesus's gospels are clearer, but still I guess fluid. I, I don't believe Paul's motives are against anything that Jesus said. No. I think we take them and use them as we see fit. That is 100% true. Well, and that's why I want us, when we read this book, I want us to read it with open eyes and open ears. And I'm not saying it's Paul. Sorry, Ted. No, no. I, mean, I was just going to try to echo you because you did a lot of commentary there. But I think the two things I got out of all, all of that, one is 
It doesn't say anywhere in Philemon how Onesimus got separated from Philemon. Right. So that, you know, we don't know if it was an escape or an assignment or whatever. Uh, and the second is we have to kind of wipe out kind of where he was going. We've got to kind of take everything out of our own brains about what we understand about slavery in the past 200, 300 years as we understand it. And we've got to kind of go to this time to the best of our understanding mm -hmm. and try to absorb. And it's important that we read it that way. Right. Um, even for those that are listening to this recording, when when we try to tie it to the time that we live in, we're tying a, a an anecdote of a time forgotten, just a time talked about. It's it totally goes with what we're discussing, what we discussed right before the Bible study started. You know, we 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 the people that win the victory are the ones that write the stories. That's the most important part. If I ever pass on anything that I've ever learned from all of the education is please understand that the people that write the history are the ones that won. No matter what we do. Um, and, and the ones that have lost the battle, we allow them to have some voice sometimes. I mean, the case in point, Tulsa race riot. Uh, that was almost completely written out of history on purpose by the victors that their ancestors still live in Tulsa. And none of them have had the opportunity or have made the effort to say, yeah, my family were crazy and they did stupid things and we promise we won't do that again. You know, they didn't say anything when the Tulsa race riot conversation happened. They're like, oh, wow, this is really bad, and pretended like their family had nothing to do with it, still to this day. And so there's this interesting conversation, as you pointed it out. And when we look at Philemon, the idea of slavery, it's really important to understand the hierarchy of the Roman culture. Everyone was a servant to Rome. Everyone. Even Paul. While he's in prison, everyone was a servant to Rome. Onesimus, whatever it was that he had done, if he was a fugitive, if he was not, uh, Paul is writing this letter to keep him safe. And it's it's extending forgiveness in the same way, theologically, that Jesus does for people. So that's where the language between Paul and Jesus changes. And the focus goes to what Paul says. That's right. Argument, if you want to call it that. Yeah. That could be brought, you know, by because of Jews instead of why do we like this person or not? Right. Why do we like Jesus? I mean, it's a good question. We, why do we not like Jesus? It's not because of where he was born. It's the person. It's the message. Why do we not like him? Why do we not like any other groups? You know, um, somewhere in my brain, and maybe you can hear things all along. I had the impression that Philemon actually sent the his slave to minister to Paul while he was in prison. And that they became close and Paul sent him back and said this man was close to his brother. But I don't know that where I heard that, but that's not in your commentary at all. No. So he was sent from to take care of Paul while he was in prison. And Paul sent him back. I mean I know I I know that story. 
that's that's one I've heard. I've... Yeah, no, I I think we used to teach it that way because because of the way that he talks about Onesimus, whatever debt he has had for you, I will pay it, you know, in full. So that I know that that in the I know that we've had it in our Sunday school curriculums for the decades. So um, it's just interesting because we know that Paul is in prison with Timothy at this time. And so why would Onesimus go there? Well, this goes back to our Sunday school class this week is during Paul's journeys. He's, he's definitely in prison. This is most likely at the time he was in house arrest, which puts it timing wise in the fifties. So that that helps you at all. Um, and this means he's probably in Caesarea Philippi. If that helps. So let's start. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. To Apphia, our sister. Uh, to Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank uh, my God because I hear of your love for all of the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you have when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. This is that backing of what you're saying, Pam. I am sending him, that is, my own heart back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be the reason he was separated for you from you for a while. So that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hands. See, this is one of my favorite parts because it's the only place that he ever says i wrote this with my own hand uh i will repay it i say nothing about your owing me even your own self yes brother let me have this benefit from you and the lord refresh my heart in christ confident of your obedience i'm writing to you knowing that you will do even more than i say one thing more prepare a guest room for me for i'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you and Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, 
and your, uh, be with your spirit. And then there's usually an amen at the end of this, but some of your texts probably have that. Up there starting with verse 19, uh -huh. I Paul write this with my own hand. Yeah. In my translation, it's all caps. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's interesting. New living. I didn't. I didn't but um, 19 is a confusing. Sorry. I like it. Not to mention, you know, I'll pay you back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's old. <laughs> no, no, I mean, wouldn't that be the very first thing to say? Sure, but he might not have written the whole thing. Yeah, I think he might have written that. Last Just that part. one line. Okay. I and I, I mean, and and nobody, and and really, there's, there's one other I know of, the end of Galatians, right, where he says, "I'm writing large letters." It's almost like he took the pen from his writer and wrote yeah. that little part. Uh, that, that doesn't seem like a very Christian thing to do with you Which part? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says he could, but he's he not could gonna. have, but I'm not going <laughs> to. By the way, you owe me everything, but. <laughs> So I want to I want to caution everybody really quickly at the names at the end of this thing. Um, Luke, uh, Mark, Mark um, Aristarchus and Demos are all mentioned in the book of Colossians um, as followers of Christ. In Luke, I'm sorry, in, in Colossians, he actually refers to it as Luke, the physician, which is where we get the name for the gospel according to Luke, which in my opinion, and I'm not alone in this, most likely could have been the Luke that could have written the gospel according to. Why? Because the timing works better. And Acts. And Acts. Because if 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 it is a, a, if it is Luke, the Luke, and it is in the latter part of Paul's ministries, and he is in an older state, it is totally possible that Paul could have been in Imprisoned with Luke, um, and Luke gets freed. Um, so if it's at the latter part and he starts writing, let's say, but which we tend to believe, if he gets starts writing in the latter sixties, early seventies, it would totally give credence to the Gospel of Luke being done and completed by the end of the century, um, which would make Luke young when he's in the prison with Paul, which also gives your credence to why Luke knows so much about Paul in the book of Acts. Because he has all of these stories that he learned of Paul. So, yes, and maybe. So, I don't necessarily read that they're all in prison with him. The only reason I say that is see how he starts off with whoever that is. Epaphras. My fellow prisoner in Christ. As you freeze, as so do the rest of them. Yeah. But 
anyway. They're with them, though, it sounds like, in some capacity. Right. They could be they could be standing outside the the prison cell listening to him talk and that that actually happened a lot. Like this um prisoners Exactly. It's a, it's a really cool part here that I just had had to point out. This the 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 mark part uh this this is the this this is it's typically attributed to John Mark that's mentioned in where does it say this Acts chapter twelve um, and then Aristarchus is also mentioned in Colossians as Paul's fellow captive that's my fault I'm sorry I because I, I remembered that but only because of Colossians uh, then in Second Timothy. He's usually identified with Paul's associate who comes with him to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 10. Is the name, Demos is the name of, uh, or Demas is the name of yet another Paul's mentioned in Colossians, unfavorably, however. Um, and Paul refers to his uh, colleague named Luke as the beloved physician in Colossians 4. And Luke is also Paul's sole faithful companion, according to 2 Timothy. The... Uh, now, my commentary here says that it, if it, it is Luke the evangelist, we don't know. But it's too, I mean, it's too blatant to not do that. I mean, it's just too obvious. I want to I want to point out a few things before we go on. Is is there anybody have any more conversations about that? Yeah, I just want the only reason that I or look at that is if you have that one guy in prison and the others on the other side of the door, there are. A whole lot. It's easier for them to take whatever he's saying and go out to other people. Yes. I mean, you know, they're and Luke. If it is Luke, he was he could write his own letters. I mean, yes. And, and did yeah. He was yeah. So this is this is kind of cool um, historically that this is the way that he writes this. Uh, just out of curiosity, is Jesus mentioned in this letter at all? He's a prisoner of Christ. Prisoner of Christ. Is there a theological conversation that takes place in this at all? This is the faith which you have for the Lord Jesus. So there's the faith in which you have in the Lord Jesus. Is there a challenge? Not only his challenge is to forgive. Yep. That's one of the things. He's also challenging to go out to be a mission missionary, I guess, so to speak. <clears throat> Look past labels. You know, Look past labels. There's a sense of forgiveness. There's a sense of evangelism. Absolutely. This is a person. This is a person. That's a big one. That's a that's a big one. The, this this uh you could see now why this book was kind of on the chopping block right like so what what do you why would this book be so controversial in the first century based off of our conversations that's definitely they wanted their slaves 
seven. So let's go with that idea. If the Roman world works in such a way that says we want our slaves, we have we can't survive without our slaves. And Paul writes a letter that says, hey, treat this one as if he's my brother. He's of my flesh. Don't call him a slave. Why would that be controversial all the way up even until the third uh, well, fourth century? Uh, well, yeah, all the way up there. I mean, this is this is kind of a big deal. Because in most instances, you can't, you couldn't own property for your man yourself. I mean, good. If, you know, if you're as good as me, then why am I working for you? Mm -hmm. Unless there's, I mean, you know, today's reimbursed for it, but house over your head. The key but component. I, I would say that a slave who is well treated and had a roof over his head and food on the table is probably better off than some citizens who have not got that. Yeah, so this is definitely something different. Can slaves be taxed? Yeah, everyone. You know, that was the whole Roman thing. They come when they squash you. And, you know, as long as you're like nice and sent money, back step on you. Right. No, they definitely, everyone was taxed. And I was, yes. Do we know what town general first went with his home? Would they be one of the other? We really don't know. Uh, I mean, I was just trying to remember. I don't think it says in. Yep. So it's it's got to be on the journey. So, but there were we know of. There's a lot of towns in between, and evidently, Philemon had to be a person of notoriety because he even addresses it to him as a as an individual. This Bible says Philemon uh, was a member of the church in philosophy. Okay. Sure. However, I mean, these. Yeah, whatever, whatever they base it on. They... Sounds good to me. Does the name Philemon, I mean, does it mean love, lover of God? Or, no, not that. Lover of man. Maybe. I don't know. Do Phila is, is love, right? Brother. Or, or brother. Brother. That's brother. right. Right. Like Philadelphia. Yep. Like, exactly. Yeah, brotherly love. You're so, right. Well, no. Yeah, the, the Phila is love, and the Adelph Adelphos is the brother. So. Love, love is in part of his name, but I don't know if the no his brother is part of his name. Brother's part of his name. I thought yeah. Adelphos was brother. Oh, you're right. So, so that's what it's love. love. Yeah, but it's um, like, like uh, you know, are you looking at it up? I don't know. I, I, I gotta look it up. We, we could, we could. I have it. a device. <laughs> yeah, we could. Uh, I'm gonna beat you. <laughs> I have faster fingers. <laughs> Boom. I got it. Oh, rats. I lost the race. <laughs> it says loving or as affectionate or as well as a kiss. What now? What does that mean? What, what's the word? Which part of that? It's <laughs> Philip Mon. So, why does this thing As opposed to the Mon. I was just wondering because sometimes, sometimes, like, 
uh, letters written to Theophilus, which is going to be as, a general as love to of God kind of right. thing. Right. Or is that right? Yeah, Theophilus is a, 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 a lover of God. I, yeah. I'm just, I, I guess my question is that it was, you know, uh, if the other names don't mean anything, you know, <laughs> Robert, Josh, why is his name? Sometimes. Yeah, it, it's it just a, what I do. This is these are good questions. Church. Right. And yeah. I I guess my question ultimately is does it reflect uh, where they would be from? Sometimes. I mean, you know, because yeah. because some of them, you know, they'll was was <laughs> No, some of the last names, especially in the end, meant something. You yeah, know, you were from this town, so you were. Mm -hmm. That's right. Or you I were dog. <laughs> a butcher or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They reflected what you did. Yeah. Well, you you brought it up. So m my family's name comes directly from the lowlands of Scotland, as they sat along Adrian's wall. The Ibir, the bell, means that they carry the bell so that when the British would come to or the Romans would come or anything guess who sounded the charge so that everybody knew that they were coming by ringing a bell that was where my name came from Campbell's. I mean yeah there's and then there's so all of them have have their legendary parts so uh in this case I don't want to give you a fake answer however I will say that Paul is notorious for using people's names specifically for a theological construct. So if we were to do that, let's say we we go down that route, the, the name Loving Kiss or something. Kiss is more what I was finding that was closer to it, yeah, which would make sense because the only way that you can acknowledge another person's presence is by uh, kissing them. That's the intimate moment. Uh, uh, we've never really talked about this that when at that time a kiss was an extremely intimate thing and so is the head the, the head is a huge huge part in the jewish mystical mystical theological understanding so your head is the closest to god right so your head does everything to god so if i was to kiss someone uh on the forehead i am passing the the peace of god on, upon you uh in the closest way that i could right and so in the roman culture which has been transferred for centuries if not millennia there were two kisses right um if you if you want proof you just look at the stories of brutus and uh you know and mark antony and uh you you look at look at the ways that they tell the stories of them there was always things sealed with a kiss that's an important thing. So if we go with Philemon being his name having meaning, loving kiss, loving kiss, I'm passing Onesimus back to you with the blessing of God, because that's where the kiss would come from. It's one path you could go down. If I was in seminary and I was writing an exegesis paper about Philemon and saying even his name had meaning, that's where I would start. I would do a transliteration of his of the the name and how i would say it in greek and then i would start talking about cultural aspects and it's their the exegetical process is uh it, the name escapes me but you could 
very easily use this entire letter about an action, right? Because there's no theological construct here other than having faith in the Lord Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ. So you see how this letter is also controversial in the sense that it could be very easily turned around? Very easily, which is what it did in the 19th century. I was looking up something while we were here. There's a Dr. Barnett, one of my favorite people of all time, right? She has been doing a lot of research about churches in Oklahoma because of how much of a connection we had with the Klan. They're, they're really, we, we hosted a bunch of clans in, in, in Oklahoma. Um, and there is a interesting conversation about how that works. When you say that, do you mean family groups or do you mean churches? I'm talking about congregations, the clan, the KKK. Yeah. Um, And there was the women's KKK that were housed at people's churches. And so in our research, one of the things that has come up in a lot of our denominational research, and I came across it when I was doing my research on hymnody in the, in the 19th century, Alexander Campbell, uh, the week, two weeks before I came, they found the bill of sale for Alexander buying two slaves. Um, and there was a, uh, they had, they found it and they were so excited to show it to me and my whole world was rocked. I was like, what? Oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Because the legend of Alexander Campbell is, is he uh, invited Irish immigrants and, uh, and Scottish immigrants to come live in Bethany at the time and they he, he started the school of a- animal husbandry which we call now bethany college and uh all of these folks were uh itinerant workers and they worked with him and you know indentured servants is what i refer to it as but then you find out nope he actually bought slaves and in his bill of sale he says something to the effect of to to learn a trade and uh then be freed that was his whole idea of this so he was turning these slaves into indentured servants yeah i mean yeah what which is Any... the only way they were going to well i guess <laughs> see at certain times you can say you're free that's that's right which he never did um and then and then the uh immigrants that came over the immigrants the scottish and irish immigrants worked with him until their their dying day and their families continued to work on their like sharecroppers for him so I'm just saying, so there's seven years never would play that. Yeah. 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 And then you, and then you owned your own land and everything went off. So you you do see some of that. And he owned a lot of land because he married into it and his wife, wife's family had, had a bunch. And so I'm bringing this up because it's, it's fascinating that even in our own history, I was looking at what our, our faith movements, uh, path where we always start with i always start with alexander campbell the other part people from kentucky start with barton w stone they, they both did it walter scott they he couldn't afford it so he didn't he didn't do it but um didn't mean he wouldn't have and raccoon john smith would have would have been uh, an indentured type servant person that would have worked for the system he definitely did not write he his sermons though people wrote down for him, which was kind of fascinating. Um, I only bring that up because, again, here's the first century. Here's Philemon. 
There's nothing here theological, really, that's earth shattering. But there's a concept involved of what do we think about God in this way? And this totally goes back to the beginning of our discussion that I should have recorded uh, of, of the world that we live in. It's a concept, right? It's it's not it's not a theological one. There are pieces of it that are theological to us as individuals. And those that claim Christianity are concerned genuinely of what is happening around our globe at this moment. Um for lots of reasons. Um in the time that Philemon is being written, there is a genuine concern of safety that Paul is writing this letter to say, this slave is no longer to be treated as a slave. If I was a Roman and I read that, he would have been killed right then. Both. And everybody that was in his cell. Just just to make sure everybody got it. It's just like stinking thinking. You That's know exactly I mean? it. You don't want people thinking and talking like that. That's right. It can... That's what Jesus ultimately yeah. gets executed over. It, Jesus gets executed because he challenges the status quo. What Paul is doing is exactly the same thing here. In the name of Jesus, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. You can't change that language. Why is he in jail? I'm a follower of Jesus. And that's why it's written specifically for one person. Mm -hmm. And because you said everything, mm -hmm. and you have Sparty, this novel status quo. Well, yeah. Crazy thing. And it's one of those weird books, like Titus, that's written to a, an individual. The ones that are established churches, I've always found fascinating. Um, the letters to people, particularly, are also fascinating in the sense of how do we, how do we process them, and for some reason. The church, as far as I can tell, and I'm, again, I'm I'm still a baby at this. We take these very personal, um, the the letters from Paul. We we take them extremely to heart. You know, I can, you all can think of Romans eight right off the top. Nothing can separate the love of God through Jesus Christ. You know, nothing can. That's that's a big statement. Um, you all can re, re almost recite from memory First Corinthians thirteen. You all. Remember Philippians, you 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 all have you have these images, but they're mostly from Paul's letters. Paul, it's not a personal letter. Yeah, some of the others are history. Mm -hmm. And I let history debate. You know the things about Jesus come back to a personal level, but I can't relate to Jesus. Exactly. I, I'm not on the same level as what I'm Yeah. Paul went through it all, and that's that's the hardest part as a theologian of the 21st century is I, I have a struggle with relating to what with Paul is going through. I have never been, and I've never been challenged for my faith. Well, I've been challenged, but uh, I've, 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 I'm kind of one of those people that are like, yeah, well, we just can agree to disagree, and I still love you, but I don't have to believe the same way you are. I wasn't asked to kill them, you know. I I've never been warned that I was going to be imprisoned for what I believe. Um, thank God for that. I thank God that 
we live in a place that allows me to have my own opinion. It's part of the reason that the campuses are. I mean, you know, yeah. you look at it and go, that's terrible. You, you got to turn right back around. We live in a country where we can voice our opinion. That's right. And I want these kids to have this opportunity to voice their opinion, whether I agree with it or not, because that's how they learn. That's how we learned. We learned by our own extremist behaviors. You know, you, you I'm looking at our group here. You all have grown up in different generations from each other. And in that moment, we all have that one memory in our head that that challenged what we believe, challenged our, our faith, and challenged our lifestyles. And we were outgoing about it. Um, but we learned one way or the other. And it solidified who we are today. So I guess I... I guess I'm in that sense, I'm, I struggle with where is it that I draw a line and there are, I have found myself as I get older, there are places that I do find lines, but my line is more open in the sense that I want to build a relationship with that person more than to draw a line in the sand. That's funny. I was just thinking the other day, like there was a time where I was like, okay, this is the line right here, you know, and it, and, and now that I'm older, it's like that line has moved a little further away for what I find acceptable behavior in another person. Because I, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of compassion. I want to make a mistake on the side of being uh, of being loving rather than being hateful. And, uh, Which I think is exactly what Paul is trying to tell us here in Philemon. And I think in that line is right maybe there's that fear that it would change me you know so and you go through enough of life you go especially through hardships you lose people you love or or whatever you question god then you, you get more secure in who god is when you ask those hard questions and just like what you were saying so the more God you get, the uh, the more you realize <laughs> how much more you have to go and, and, uh, and yeah, what you want to learn. With that, we're going to go ahead and stop the recording. Click, click.